But no, we've been going through this series, and as we kind of have been unpacking this, we could be in this chapter for like a year. There is so much in here. It's so dense. Even today, I feel like we're cramming a lot into one week, but there's so much here, and what we've been looking at is kind of under the hood, uh, so to say, of our faith in Christ, what it means to have life in Christ. And we'd say that that life in Christ is the good life right? We'd say life in Christ is the good life. It's what we were created for, but it's not to be confused with the good life that maybe our culture would portray, right? Like it's, it's very different, right? Like our culture would say that the most important things are kind of comfort. There's a big emphasis on individuality as like the ultimate good. Uh, convenience, tweetable, bloggable lifestyles, power, position, status, money, all those things our culture we kind of breathe in every day are uh, kind of definitions of what the good life is, right? And so we're doing this series called Life Is, and looking at what life in Christ is, and it's very different than what our culture would say the good life is. And it's very important that I make that distinction, I think, because especially for where we're going today, if we kind of think that the good life is just kind of what our culture says, we're going to end up walking through things and be like, this isn't this isn't great. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. But it's important to make a distinction because what happens oftentimes is we use kind of faith or Christianity or the church to kind of get where we want to go, right? You see pastors doing this all the time. They're like, if you do this, life's going to be amazing. And Paul in chapter eight is like, that's not so much the case, right? He kind of gives us a, a kind of a different picture. But what is important for us to make that distinction is that if we think that life is good according to how our culture defines it, we're going to miss we're going to miss what God actually has for us and what it actually means and what life in Christ actually looks like, right? And so we've been looking at this uh, the last couple weeks. And what we looked at week one is that we said in Romans 8 that life in Christ, that life is freedom. Verse one in chapter eight says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have a new standing before God. Well, spoiler alert, the standing before, apart from Jesus, isn't great, right? Jesus says, I've not come to condemn, but I've come to save because the world stands condemned already, right? And so when we link our lives with Christ, there's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. We said that life is freedom. We said life is freedom, not in this kind of American, we can do whatever we want sense, but in the sense that we are free from the power of sin, free from the power of death, and we can link our lives to Christ and we're free to be able to follow and trust Christ with our lives. The second week we said that life is belonging, that we're no longer uh, slaves to fear, but we've been called children of God, but not only children, but we're adopted children of God because he's brought us into his family. It's such an awesome picture, right? that he's brought us into the family of God. We're not all God's children, but when we put our faith in Christ, he, let, he adopts us into the family of God and he gives us his spirit to dwell within us. Sounds pretty like, a, like some kind of crazy sci-fi movie, but it's true. As we read through scripture, we see God's presence, God's spirit dwelling in the tabernacle, dwelling in the temple, dwelling in this place I had to go. But our life in Christ tells us that the spirit dwells within us, that we become living temples. It's crazy, right? But we've been adopted into the family. We have a new belonging. We said this last week, and I think this resonates with just about everybody in the room, that we said that life is hard, right? And Paul, Paul, Scripture in general doesn't like try to act like it's not. I don't know where we get that. I have no idea where we get that. Because Scripture is very clear about what we walk through. And Paul, last week, he said that our present sufferings are not to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed, right? That he says, suffering kind of comes with the program. Jesus in John 16 says, in this life, you will have trouble. 
like thanks Jesus, but he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That our world can try to keep us from suffering, can try to insulate us from suffering. I think in our culture, we try to distract ourselves from suffering, right? We can just like kind of dial into our phone. We can distract ourselves from the world around us. But I think that through the gospel, through this life in Christ, that God gives us perspective through it, right? And so we are going to kind of continue this conversation. Dan said this last week, that these two weeks, last week and this week, kind of go together in terms of uh, this passage. So we are going to kind of continue this conversation of life is hard, but as we continue through this passage, we'll see that in light of what Paul says here, that life is a meaningful mystery. So we're going to go today. Life is a meaningful mystery. And as you're writing in your notes, you're like, not sure what he means by that. I'm just going to write it down. But we'll unpack that, what I mean by life is a meaningful mystery. By meaningful, I mean this. That life is important, that God created everything with a purpose, a design, a plan. He has a will. He knows the number of sand particles on the beach and knew you before you were born. That life matters, right? That you matter, And that the way in which we live and breathe, the way we live our life, it matters, right? It's not just this like, whatever, right? There's like a a philosophy, way of life called nihilism, which is kind of this eat, drink, and, and and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? It's just kind of this, whatever is kind of this nihilism way to live. And that's not what the scriptures would say. We believe life is meaningful. I love the way C.S. Lewis says, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning, right? That our existence, our place in this system, all these things are meaningful, right? They're not just happenstance, they're not random, but it's meaningful. But at the same time, as we walk through life in Christ, there's kind of the sidewalk eventually comes to an end and there's this sense of mystery, right? What I mean by that is we, we are, we're talking about and pursuing the understanding of the God who is transcendent, who is beyond our comprehension, who is beyond our understanding. I'm not talking about just some kind of area like, I don't know, God's a mystery. We'll make it up as we go. No, he gives us the scriptures. But at the end of the day, God's ways are beyond our ways. This guy named John Calvin said, man with all his shrewdness is as stupid about the understanding by himself. I'm gonna start that again. I said that wrong. Man with all his shrewdness is as stupid about understanding by himself the mysteries of God as a donkey is incapable of understanding musical harmony. Like just being able to understand the depths of God is about the same thing as a donkey trying to sing alto. Like it's a very different uh, playing field we're on. In Job 11, it says, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? In Isaiah 55, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so we walk through life knowing that what we walk through, knowing that our lives in general are meaningful, right? It's not just this random, see what happens, figure it out, whatever. Like our lives matter. They're meaningful. How we live matters. But at the same time, we are interacting with a God who is philosophically beyond our comprehension, right? Like he's not just like a tall person who has a little bit of wisdom. Like he's, he's God who we can't really understand, describe, or comprehend, right? And so that's going to lend itself to certain areas of life, the whys and hows and what's sometimes being a mystery. And we're going to walk through that this morning. But as we walk and we navigate through this, God gives us different anchors to kind of to kind of anchor ourselves as we continue to walk through this life in Christ, right? And the first one of those we'll just jump on is prayer, that God is going to help me in my weakness. 
You probably came to church and you're really surprised that we're talking about prayer. That was a bad joke. But, but I want to look at this because this is such an important part to, as we walk through this meaningful mystery is prayer, that God is going to help me in my weakness. Start in verse 26. And we'll kind of be camping out in just these next four verses this morning. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There's, there's a very crucial first step to this whole faith in Jesus thing, and it's kind of acknowledging our inadequacy, right? It's kind of acknowledging our need for this whole thing, right? That understanding my inadequacy is essential for being a follower of Jesus. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians when he is kind of afflicted with something, and he's kind of talking with God, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Paul sounds a little crazy. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul's saying here is very different from our culture, right? Like we would say like strength is like getting a ton of followers, climbing up the ladder, getting people to admire you, being on top. Like that's how we're strong. What's he talking about? But what Paul says are in my weakness, it's when I find strength. Why would he say that? Because it's when I recognize my weakness that I'm ready to receive the help that the Spirit offers, right? Scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why would he give grace to the humble and not the proud? Because the proud don't think they need grace, Right? that God gives us grace in our weakness. God gives us grace in our weakness. I love the rest of verse 26. So it says, in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness when we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is such a beautiful picture. And I think I, when I think about someone interceding, I think of all the fellows in the room who have ever gotten a, a conversation with a girl and you're trying to explain something. She's like, what do you mean by that? And you're like, oh, what I, what I mean is that, I, and you're trying to explain yourself. And she's like, mm-hmm, what are you talking about? <laughs> like one time Sarah, Sarah decided to try on a different makeup color. Sarah's my wife. She put on a different eye color. I don't even know what they're called. She had different color. And she's like, Aiden, what do you think of this? I'm like, that's different. I like it. She goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean different? I was like, it's a nice color. I like it. It's, you haven't worn that color before. It's different. She goes, what do you mean by different? I'm like, oh no. She was actually reading over my notes last night. And she's like, what did you mean by different? I'm like, I don't want to bring this back up. But I'm like, man, in that moment when I'm like, I looked good. I just think it's different. Like, I'm like, I just need someone to intercede for me. Like somebody else explain this. I can't, my words are not, you know what I mean? It's a terrible analogy for this, but but the spirit intercedes for us. In our weakness, we're kind of starting with the playing field of our weakness, right? And in our weakness, the spirit steps in our place. The spirit speaks for us, right? In our weakness. I think this kind of can show up uh, two ways, uh, predominantly when we're looking at this passage. That the spirit intercedes when my weakness shows up as naivety. When my weakness kind of shows itself in the form of being naive, I think the Spirit speaks for us, right? If you look at verse 26, we do not know what we ought to pray for, is what it says. When we don't know what we ought to pray for, that we are, we are communing with this transcendent God and we're like, dear Lord who created all things and sustains all things, help me have a nice day. And we're like, you know what I mean? Like if we knew, we might just say it different, right? Like we might commune with God a little bit different that we don't really even know what we truly need. Like I, I think about this, 
Uh, it's like there comes that time in your life when you, you eventually, your parents stop ordering for you at restaurants and you kind of start ordering for yourself, right? Like one day the waitress just looks at you and you're like, what? <laughs> like, you're like, I gotta, I, was, I, I just used to sit here and now chicken nuggets appeared. Now I have to explain this. <laughs> to where, like, we, and we, so growing up, the only place we ever went out to eat was once every, once in a while, every blue moon, as they say, we went to Parasons in Barberton because they had free garlic bread. And they're like, just eat garlic bread and don't talk. So I would just eat garlic bread at this place. And eventually, like, the waitress just looks at you and they're like, what would you like to order? And you're like, Sprite? <laughs> like, I don't know how to order. And then my mom kind of intercedes on behalf of me and says, he doesn't need Sprite. He's had enough sugar. He'll just have chicken fingers and he likes ketchup and bring a box because he's not going to eat all this. Like, she intercedes for me when I'm too naive to even know what I need when I don't even have the capacity to know like what's healthy and what's going to make me not hungry, like I don't even know how this whole thing works. My mom would intercede for me, right? That the spirit intercedes when we are naive, when we don't know what we need, when we didn't even know that we needed him to intercede for us, right? That the spirit speaks for us, right? There's comfort there. And I think in the second way of which this passage is probably steering at towards even a little bit more is that the spirit intercedes for me when my weakness shows up as pain, Right, like Paul is kind of threading this needle through this, this idea of suffering and the spirit intercedes for me when my weakness shows up as pain. That when you're in prayer and you're just letting it out and there's anger and frustration and sorrow and confusion and things don't make sense and just being real and honest before God when we're at the end of our rope and we don't even know what to say. That in our pain, in our suffering, in the place that we're at, like, I don't even know what to say to you, God, that the Spirit intercedes in our place for us, right? There's, there, there's such a, a comfort there. That's why we said this last week. We say this every week. Like, it's okay to be honest with God. It, like, He knows, right? You're not going to hurt His feelings. But in the same sense, when we are just struggling to know what to say, the Spirit intercedes for us, speaks for us, with wordless groans. We see that God is empathizing with us. And the truth is, in the midst of these times when we're praying from this place of suffering, we can trust that God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? Look at verse 27. It says, and he, that's the Father, who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with with the will of God, that God knows us, he knows the depths of us, and he intercedes for us when we don't even know what we should say, and we can't even find the words to say. But this, this passage points to this, this kind of idea, the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So if you just get your pens out, I'm gonna give you just a really quick five-minute uh, will of God, and you'll never have any questions again. So it's a bad joke, but, but as we look at the will of God, we see like a couple different things throughout scripture of kind of how God's will plays out. We see, we see God's decreed will that God kind of speaks and it, and it happens, right? We see through scripture that it's kind of his sovereignty over all things, right? Or we see God's desired will that kind of, we can almost say that God's moral will, that he desires us, he desires his people, the world to kind of go a certain way. But the truth is we all know that that doesn't always happen, Right? That God's desired will doesn't always happen. Why is that? Because man has free will. You and I have free will, right? And so we kind of live in this world where these kind of things come together. So we see God's decreed will, his desired will. And then what most of us are concerned with is God's directional will. 
Who does he want us to marry? What house does he want us to choose? What school does he want us to go to? There's God's directional will. And if you open your Bibles to Jedediah, we'll see what he says about that. The book of Jedediah is not in the Bible, and the Bible says nothing about God's directional will, right? Like, that's something that we always, we're like, what decision does God want me to do? What, what thing does he want me to do? And scripture isn't always clear about that, right? Like, that's what we desire so much, is for God to tell me which door to choose. But we don't always know, right? But what it does do, we'll kind of touch on that later, but what God's will does do is it points us to his purposes. That, that God's will points us to his purpose. And so we're gonna, for a couple minutes, look at probably one of the most, most over, overused, probably oversimplified, but yet if we can kind of sink our teeth into what it actually means, probably one of the most powerful passages, not only in the book of Romans, but in the whole, in the whole course of scripture, right? And that's this, we'll throw this up on the screen. You've heard some version of this. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That we kind of navigate this meaningful mystery of life by trusting that God has a purpose. We'll say it this way, that God is working in all things that God is working in all things. Whether you kind of grew up with a church background or not, you've probably heard like some version of this, like it's all going to work out thing, right? Like I told, I, I, I met with, I know this guy back in the day who was kind of, he was struggling with drugs. I don't know if struggling is the word that I'd use. He was doing drugs. And he was talking to me once and he was telling me how, man, I had all this, this weed in my pants pocket. You guys are like, see how to say weed in church? Well, here we are. He's like, I don't know, it was weed in my pants pocket and the cops pulled me over. I'm like, oh no. But he's like, then I remembered I changed my pants that morning and my weed was at home and the cops didn't catch me with my weed. God works all things together for the good. And he kind of was like, oh, God works it out. And I'm like, I, I'm not completely sure. I could be wrong. I don't think that's what this passage is talking about, right? But we, we do that all the time, right? We can kind of oversimplify we can oversimplify what it is that this passage means, right? We can kind of turn this passage into a bumper sticker. I think what happens a lot of times with this concept is we boil it down to either two things. That we either oversimplify it and we kind of just make it a sticker that we stick on things or that we kind of dedicate ourselves to figuring out why and how God is working all things out, right? Like the, the, the first is this, that we kind of oversimplify. That we oversimplify, we kind of call it sometimes a Bible Band-Aid that when someone is going through a, a super hard time, maybe someone just lost someone close to them, or there's just a painful season in life that we rightfully so don't have the words to say. And so what we say a lot of times is stuff that's not helpful. Just as a rule of thumb, it's better just to be present and not give advice that isn't helpful, right? Some of you are like nodding your heads. You're like, yes, please. Where we're with somebody and someone will say, you know what? It's just a blessing in disguise. And you're like, it's not very helpful. Thank you. Or sometimes you're with people and they're like, you know, everything happens for a reason. And you're like, this reason I punched you in the mouth was for a reason. Because, and it just isn't helpful, right? It's just this oversimplified platitude that isn't helpful when we boil it down that way. Or we, we kind of think when something ironic happens, like I lost my car keys, but I found my backup keys. God's working it together. Or what happens, I hear this all the time. Like you, you've seen this on Facebook. Don't get mad at me or email me. I have a spam folder. They go straight to it. I'm just kidding. But where we, we you kind of wake up and you're like, man, the kids are crazy. I spilled coffee on myself, got a flat tire and everything in the morning was crazy. And then I'm headed to work and I drove by this big old fender bender. And I thought if I would have just left five minutes earlier, that could have been me. God works it all together for the good. And we can kind of just simplify it in our hearts and minds to become these platitudes, right? 
Some of you are looking at me mad because you're like, I said that on Facebook yesterday, right? But we kind of boil down this truth of what Paul is writing to in the midst of suffering to kind of platitude type things or what happens. And I'm only saying it because I treat this verse this way is that we know that God works all things together for the good. We believe that in our hearts and we are gonna make it our mission to find out why he's doing it and how he's doing it. And so we kind of look like a detective with one of those corkboard pictures and tacks and strings going all over it to kind of solve the mystery on why God is doing what he's doing, right? That we wanna connect all the dots, that we live in a world where we can Google the answer to anything. Right? Like, do you remember when you used to argue about things that didn't matter? Well, that was a bad example because we do that. Never mind. Things that were inconsequential, like what year a song came out, and we'd argue about it, and we'd just leave saying, we don't know. Now we can Google and find the answer to everything. And so that kind of shapes us and forms us, and we have this desire to connect all the dots as if our life is like a movie sometimes, right? And we just need everything to come together. Have you guys seen the movie Signs? Everybody's like, I don't know. The alien movie Signs with Mel Gibson before he went a little crazy. There, so he, in Signs, I'm going to ruin it, but it came out 15 years ago, so that's on you. But when, in Signs, what happened was Mel Gibson is this priest who's kind of struggling with his faith, right? And he has this brother who was supposed to be a baseball player or was, I don't remember, it's been 15 years. But he's, this brother lives with him and his brother has like this baseball paraphernalia around the house. Mel Gibson's oldest son, has asthma and his youngest daughter leaves cups of water all over the house for unexplained reasons. Wash your dishes, put them in the dishwasher. But she leaves her, she leaves her cups of water all over the house. So there are all these just random things, random personality traits or quirks about these people, right? Aliens show up, it is signs. So the aliens show up and the aliens are creaking around the cornfields. And so they're in their basement, right? They lock themselves in their basement. And sure enough, you saw it coming. They forgot the boy's inhaler and he's gonna have an asthma attack in the basement while the alien's upstairs eating out of the fridge. And what happens next is they're like, we gotta go upstairs. And so they go upstairs and they're just gonna face the alien. And what happens is as they're sneaking around, the alien gets a hold of the boy with asthma. And as the boy has, is held by the alien, the alien puts his alien mist into the, into the boy's nose. And then the brother takes the bat because he's a baseball player and he starts slugging the alien and the alien falls back and all the water that's left around the house falls on him. And sure enough, it's the water that is the alien's demise. And yet the boy, because he had asthma, the alien toxins didn't get into his lungs and everything in signs works together for the good of Mel Gibson, Right. Like we see everything play out just perfectly. And we're like, oh, that quirk, that failed baseball career, that medical thing all came together and now we know why, right? And that's how we think life is sometimes. Many times we're like, why did I lose my job? Why did that person get sick? And we, we wanna connect all the dots for very valid reasons. Very valid reasons, but we search for this resolve and I'm not sure that's what Paul is pointing us to in this passage. What happens sometimes is that by our either oversimplification or our pursuit of how, we miss what this passage is actually telling us. And what this passage has shown us is it's first shown us who this is for. This passage says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's not just like a random fortune cookie that we open and it's just like a tip for anybody. Like this is, this is a passage giving help or giving hope and perspective to the reality of faith for people who choose to follow Jesus. That's why sometimes you copy and paste it into the world. Like this isn't helpful. It's like, well, it's meant for people who are trusting Jesus. The result is gonna be different, right? That's why I talked about our culture's expectation and the church's expectations at the beginning of this whole thing. 
because he's been called for those who've been called according to his purpose, right? He says who it's for, and he also says what it's for. He says it's for the good. He doesn't simply say in like a vague sense, it'll all work out. Because sometimes you and I are like, it's not, right? Like it doesn't seem like it is. He doesn't just simply say it'll all work out. He doesn't simply say it's just all good, right? It says that God is working all things, that God is not absent. I love there's an old Christmas carol, heard the bell on Christmas day. It says, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. That God is working all things together for the good. This is, this kind of all things together is two Greek words. I'm not very good at this. Stole it from Pastor Dan, but it's panta in synerge. That panta means all things. That we kind of have a tendency, rightfully so, to say, man, how does this big good thing or this big bad thing, how do these things work out? But God is working all things together. The joys, the sorrows, the seeming inconsequential things, the annoying things, the small things, the huge things, working all things. And this word synerge means all, it's like this picture, it's where we get the word synergy. He's working all things together, right? It's like these like baking shows where they give the chef a bunch of random ingredients and they work it into something that's awesome, right? God is working all things. And the fact that God is working all things together, I think for us as believers, as we walk through, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, what it, what it kind of looks like is that gives us perspective to our past. I think it gives us confidence in uncertainty. I think most of all, it gives us comfort in suffering. I just want to hit this quick. That I think it gives us perspective to our past. And all I simply mean by that is not in a way that's trying to connect all the dots or explain everything that's ever happened to us. But if you've ever talked to someone who's, who's been a believer for a long time or has been in the faith, like you can kind of see, man, I, I walked through this season and then God was doing this in my life and this was my fault. I should not have done that. And the, all these different things in life, you kind of humbly look back and be like, but I see God's hand in this, right? Like, I see how God has shaped me through this. That now, because this has happened, that we can give insight or perspective or hope to other people. Like, we just humbly can look back and see a perspective through our past, right? Not to be confused with our hand in our past, but we can see God's hand uh, in our past. Not in every situation. I think it gives us confidence in uncertainty. Stroking around at the beginning about God's directional will, and God doesn't tell you what person to marry or what college to go to, or if you should take this job or that job, or if you move to Kansas or stay here. Like, God doesn't tell us that, right? But that's like for a good reason. So often we're like, man, I just want to know. I want to make sure I make the right decision, especially if I'm spending thousands of dollars on college. Like, I got to do the right thing, right? And I, I'd simply say this: that that as as a body of believers, that we if we pursue wisdom pursue godliness, surround ourselves with people that are kind of following Jesus as well. That's why the Grace Connect is so important. That's why going down and checking out a group isn't just like a nice program at the church, but like being in community with other believers who are walking through the same things is essential to our faith. If someone from the early church showed up and they're like, y'all just read your Bibles on your phones and watch Osteen, that's all you do? They'd be like, I'm not sure that's what the church is, right? I'm not sure that's what this following Jesus thing's about. But as we kind of surround ourselves with like-minded people who are pursuing Christ, as we pursue godliness, pursue wisdom, we can kind of confidently, because we know that God works all things together, open door one or open door two or open door three. You know what I mean? Like we're not gonna, God's not like, not two, not two, you open two, you moron. Like that's not, that's not how it works. We can have confidence in the uncertain things of life. But most of all, what I think this passage is pointing to is that because God is working all things, we can find this deep sense of comfort 
in our suffering. Not in like a Bible band-aid way, not in like a little platitude way, not an oversimplistic way, but we let that truth kind of dwell within us. Like I've, I've talked to some of you guys, I've seen some of these different people in the church walk through terribly, terribly, terribly dark things. And though everything on the surface in their hearts and their mind just wants to scream out and struggle and fight, and that is for good reason, there's a deep anchor that says, I'm trusting that God's working all things together, right? Have you seen somebody like that? It's because they believe this on a deep level, that God is working all things together. We talked about this last week. It doesn't necessarily mean that he caused them. Sometimes it's, it's my sin that causes hurt. Sometimes it's people around me's sin that causes hurt. Sometimes it's the fact that we're in a giant broken world that causes hurt. And sometimes we just don't know. We talked about that last week with life is hard. That we don't always know, but what we do know is that we have a promise that in the darkest, most painful nights of our life, that they are not wasted, that God is not absent, that he didn't forget you in the waiting room, that he isn't distracted, but that God is working and has a purpose through all things. Through all things has a purpose for the good of those who, who are called according to that purpose. And it's a good question. Like, what is that purpose, right? I'm not saying this is like every single little thing we walk through. This is the, the explanation for everything. But when we look at the purposes of God, he tells us right here. Let's continue on. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined, we'll come back to that, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That the ultimate, the ultimate purpose for God's people here on earth is to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the picture of Christ. His purpose, goal, desire for us is that we look like, sound like, talk like Jesus, Right? Because we believe that's where true life is found. That we forgive as Christ, sacrifice as Christ, see people as Christ, love as Christ, show grace in the way that Christ has shown grace, that we honor the Father the way that Christ honors the Father, and we let what is true about, it, about us work its way out. If you're here and you're like, oh, I don't like that purpose very much. If that purpose isn't very satisfying to you, I'd reevaluate what you think the Christian faith is all about. That's why it's so important that we make the distinction of what life in Christ is and what the good life is versus, man, what our culture and the good life is. Because we confuse the two and then we get mad when, the, when the, the turnout is different, right? God says the purpose of all these things is to conform us to the image of God. And so we hold to the meaning that he's working through all things for his purposes, that he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. We hold to that, but we also hold to the mystery of we're not exactly sure how or why all the time. Don't hear me say, man, this loss was because he was making me look like, like we, that's oversimplifying things. But we hold to his purpose and we, we kind of swim in the mystery of who he is holding to his purpose, right? And in, in response to God's purpose, we walk through this meaningful mystery called life, trusting God's promises, that we believe that God is gonna finish what he started, right? We see that in this passage, that God is gonna finish what he started. You guys can, can write that down in your notes. This is kind of comes from verse 30, and it says this. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. I love that kind of if-then of this passage. Some people call it this, this like golden chain of salvation, right? But there's a word in here that if you've grown up in church or if not, you're like, what does he mean by predestined, <laughs> Right? 
Like, it's kind of, is anybody else like, explain that word to me, please? <laughs> like, I, that's how I read it, right? And what I think sometimes, we're going to talk about it, but I think sometimes we can kind of get caught up in certain words and miss like the, the power and meaning and comfort that comes from that. And so I said this at the beginning when we talked about God's will, that there's kind of this, this great, this great kind of debate, this great question for people that are struggling with faith. There's different theological camps that play out in this area. Like with predestination, we're like, so does God already know? I thought I had to choose and follow Jesus. If he knows everything already, what does my decision matter? I thought I had to respond. I thought that I could, who chooses who in this game? Like who, how is it? And we have all these questions, right? And this God's sovereignty versus human will is one of like the great questions that we kind of struggle with, right? So in about three minutes, I'm going to explain it to you and you never have any questions ever again. So you're welcome. Just another bad joke, but I understand the minor laugh. But I want to explain this uh, in a way that was helpful to me. Because kind of going through seminary and kind of you struggle with all these different questions, right? Like, well, if God does know everything, then how does my, my decisions affect his will? But, but also, like, I, I know that how I live matters because if I do something stupid, I got to reap what I sow. And how does this, how does this all play together, right? Like, it's a very important question. I remember talking about this once, and, and Pastor Dan, he is our campus pastor here. Uh, he told me about a paper he wrote in college back in the 1600s. I'm kidding. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> I like working here, and I'd prefer not to be fired. Let's keep that between us. But he, he explained to me this, this paper he wrote, and he had a professor that had a strong opinion, and so he still got a good grade, but he told me this, and I, I loved it, so I want to share it with you guys. That he said, man, as, as we kind of, like, dealing with these two things, it's almost like they're two sides of a mountain, right? Two sides of a the mountain. There's the mountain I drew. There are two sides of, of this mountain, and, and, we pull, and this is all in Scripture. This isn't just, like, musing. It's what we pull from Scripture. And the one side of the mountain is God's sovereignty, right? The one side of the mountain is God's sovereignty, that just like this passage says, those he foreknew, he predestined. That God creates all things. He's outside of time, so he knows everything, right? Like God knows who's going to choose who's not. We know all these. Like God knows all these things. Ephesians says before the foundations of the earth, he, he, he forechose those that would be, that'd be part of his family, right? Like so there's this sovereignty of God side of this mountain that sometimes can shake us up and kind of be like, I don't like that. Understandably so. But in the same sense, if we believe that God is transcendent beyond our understanding, we're like, yeah. But I want to say this, that that should give us comfort, right? Like you didn't slip in. You're not like the neighbor kid in Home Alone who kind of slipped in the van and now you're here and you hope you don't get kicked out. Like, like if you're part of the family of God, like you're here for a reason, right? That's one side of the mountain. And the other side of the mountain is human free will, right? Like we see that right from the beginning, right in Genesis, that we have the freedom to choose, It'd be pretty crazy if we didn't, right? Then we'd just be a bunch of robots, right? Like we have the freedom to love God back with his freedom to commune with God, his freedom to say no. And some of you may be here this morning, you're like, no thanks. We have the freedom to do so, right? Scripture says that, Paul says in Acts, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16 says, for all that believe, whoever so believeth in him, Right? Like the commission, the great commission for the church is to go and make disciples, like tell people about Jesus that their hearts might be turned toward the goodness of Christ, right? Like our response is of utmost importance, right? And so we have both of these things and we're like, how does this work together? I'm going to give you a very unsatisfying answer, but it's satisfying for me because I'm okay with swimming in the mystery of God if you are. 
that at the top of the mountain where these things come together is in the mystery of the mind of God, that we can sit in security that God has called us, but we can also know that my response matters. That, that how I respond to this is important. Have I said yes to Jesus? Like both sides of these mountains kind of lead to this mystery of the mind of God. And you know what? I think that's okay, that we won't totally comprehend, we won't totally understand every aspect of God, nor should we. I get uncomfortable when I listen to these Bible people who are like, listen, I got it all figured out. Let me explain to you A, B, C, Z, so you have no questions. I put God in my nice concrete box here. Let me tell you about him. Like, I feel uncomfortable with that, right? Just as uncomfortable as I feel when somebody's like, I just kind of designed God today in my brain. And I'm like, that's weird. You know, he probably looks a lot like you do, I get. But, but there's, there's this sense of where I don't, I think it's okay for us to swim in the mystery of God. Romans 11 says doxology. Paul continues to write in this letter. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Like it is okay to swim in this. I'm not sure how this all comes together. I'm not sure the whys and hows and mechanics of everything. But God gives us his word. He gives us his presence. He gives a spirit to dwell in us. His, his son, Jesus, as our brother, as this passage says, and him as our father and his spirit speak. Like he gives us what we need. And what verse 30 does show me, as we kind of continue to kind of navigate through that conundrum, and that's okay, you could struggle with that for the rest of your life. I think we all will. But what we do know in verse 30 is that God found me. You didn't slip in, right? You didn't just kind of, whoop, there he is. Sorry, how'd you get in here? Like he found us, right? He sought us out. That, that he stood in my place. This verse says, those he foreknew, he justified. We looked at that verse one, or week one, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That he justified, that Christ stood in our, in this whole, you're like, wow, that God is real big. Sounds, he stood in our place. God himself met the requirements of his righteousness and stood in our place. And that God who, who in eternity, in eternity past called us, who is presently dwelling within us, what this passage says is an eternity future is gonna glorify us. What that means is that we'll have our new heavenly bodies, we'll be made like Christ in eternity in the new heavens and new earth, that God is gonna finish what he started. That at the end of this whole thing, there'll be no more questions, no more wondering that God is gonna finish what he started. No more questions, no more searching, no more hurting, no more trying to connect all the dots, God's gonna finish it. I love what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There's a version of the Bible called the Amplified, which kind of expands on some of this. I love it. It says, for now, in this time of imperfection, I think we could all agree on that, we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma, but then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. 
that life is this meaningful mystery. And I suppose that's why at the end of the day, God calls us to faith. I'd encourage you to write down Hebrews 11. Go read it later. But the author of Hebrews is talking about all these kind of, these people from the Old Testament and the faith that they had. They were all super messed up people. (laughs) Super messed up people. But they had this faith that was beyond than what this passage says, which kind of struck me last night. He's talking about Abraham in there. Go read it for yourself. And he says, Abraham never saw the result of the faith he had. He didn't see how it all plays out. He didn't see the answers to everything. But in faith, he trusted that God was working all things together. And here we are, right? And that verse talks about that, that he was looking for a country, but that God is going to be building a city for us, right? I was kind of uh, prepping this the last couple of weeks, and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of all this. I feel like he like, preached for a year and a half, but be terrible for all of us. But, what, but as I was going, going through this, just this morning, just this morning, got a, a, an email forwarded to me from a lady in the church, a sweet, sweet, awesome family who's even a little bit newer to, to the faith and here at Grace. And, and her daughter has just, she has a young daughter in elementary school and she's just been struggling this, about this last year or so just medically, that just unexplainable different things happen medically, which lead to this thing, and the doctors can't figure out this thing, and then they're trying to, you know, how all that goes. And, and, and they've kind of thought we were turning a corner, kind of with them in the hospital a couple of months ago, thought we were turning a corner, and got this email from this morning that she's back in the hospital, and there's a lot going on, infections and all these different things, and they're, they're struggling, but they're, she said, we just we want to stay positive, and we just want to keep her in prayer, so we want to keep praying. I want to keep praying because we know that God's working. Don't know how. I want to keep praying. This little girl had questions of why and some other big questions. And this is, this is what I think. You may be here and you're like, all this stuff is cute, looks nice on uh, coffee mugs and stuff, but it's not actually helpful for life. And I understand where you may be coming from. And what I just want to be clear about is all this stuff that Paul, he's not writing about sitting on a beach drinking a mojito, just being like, you know, God works it all out. Like, that's not what he's talking about. He's writing from a place of deep suffering to people who are going to be going through deep suffering. Trusting that God works all things together. And what I think is that if we're going to put our faith in the fact that, that God works all things out, if we're going to put that in our faith and everything's fine, like, have to believe that's true for this girl. Because that truth isn't something that just floats on top. That truth is something that we hold to. And some of you are sitting in this room and there's been some who sit in other services that I said that, that this was their anchor, that God is working all things. I could tell you stories of loss and pain and hardships of faces that are in this room and go to this church that you wouldn't believe. And so I believe what, it's, what God is saying here is true for you, is true for this girl that God is working all things together. It's a, we don't know why, we don't know how. I wouldn't trust someone who tries to explain everything like that. But what we do know, what we do know is that God is gonna be present with me in my weakness. He is not forgotten. He didn't go outside for a smoke. He, didn't, he is present with me in my weakness. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. That he is working everything together, that our suffering, that the mundane days of life, the days where, man, three weeks have gone by and you couldn't even tell because life is so mundane, that he is not absent, 
but that he's present in those things, even so, most of so when we don't see it, right? And believe that God is gonna finish what he started that those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified, that God is not pausing halfway through, he's not gonna change past halfway through, he's not gonna forget, but what God started, he's going to finish. I believe that for us as a church, I believe that for us as followers of Christ, I believe that for this little girl this morning, that God is working, right? And I think what Romans 8, what this passage forces us to do is to go beyond some lame, mundane American Christianity that helps me just have a nice day and everything pushes deep past that because that's going to fade away real quick, real quick. But the faith of what Paul is pointing us to, what he's talking about is deep rooted. You have to come back next week because Paul ends this section with this, this group of verses. He says, what can we say to such things? And he paints a beautiful picture of the security that we have in Christ. I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you are one of those saints who have been through so much and you with, with stained fingers, with greasy stained broken fingers are holding on to that truth through weathered hands and you're like, God works all things together. Or if you're here and you're like, I am in the middle of something that makes no sense to me. And, and I feel like my faith is shaking. I don't know how honest I can be with God. I don't know if God is even hearing me because nothing is changing. Keep praying because the spirit is interceding for you before the father. And I don't know if you're here and you're like, man, this, this stuff is the very reason you don't believe in all this God stuff. Is the very reason you're like, yeah, I don't believe in this God stuff because people around me believe it and all the same stuff still happens, right? You may, I'm not saying you are, you may be having like a, the wrong picture of what Christianity is. Because what, what I see portrayed as, as faith all over the news, all over our culture is this lamest thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't be part of that. Some vague spirituality that's gonna give you a nice day if you send 10 bucks. Like, I don't want that. We just pray hard enough. No thanks. That God's gonna just make everything great and cup. That's not what Paul's talking about. I don't know where that came from, right? In the in the midst of all this, in the midst, I don't know where you're at today, but this is this is what I know. This is what I trust, and this is what I know for those who are in the room who are followers of Christ, who've seen this play out in a deep love in their own lives. That yes, there's there's this mystery to the mind of God that God is transcendent, that he is beyond us, that we can't comprehend or even put in words who he is or his way, like we can't even, right? Can't even. But what we do know is that same God who is beyond our comprehension is the God who showed up as a baby. I have a baby that can't do very much, that he humbly showed up as a baby, dwelt with us in the midst of this painful, sinful, broken world, stepped in our place, that for all the wrong we have ever protruded into the world, that he would die for it, that we might have a life of freedom, a life of belonging, a perspective when life is hard, the trust of the meaningful life and the, and the mystery of the world we walk through, that the God who is beyond our understanding became one of us and died in our place. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we put our anchors in when we put our faith in Christ, that God is not absent or indifferent, 
but he is present with us. Amen? Can I pray for us this, this afternoon? God, we are just so thankful that you're present with us. We're so thankful that you, you don't just leave us. And God, if I'm honest, and if I even speak on behalf of some of us in the room, it feels like you do. Oftentimes it feels like you do, but Jesus, we hold to your promises. We know that we can struggle. We know that we can be honest. And we trust that your spirit dwelling within us intercedes on behalf of us, God. We're thankful that you are working in all things. And and quite frankly, we're thankful that we don't have to try to put the pieces together to find an explanation. That beyond ourselves, beyond our lives, beyond even our own time here, that you are working all things in this broken world together for the good of those who have been called according to your purpose. That you are at work. And I just pray for those that are here this morning, that are walking through this right now, I pray that just is a, in a way that only comes from your spirit, that you would give comfort and perspective and that this passage would go from being a nice platitude to a deep anchor of our hearts and of our souls that we hold on to in the darkest nights of our lives. Jesus, we're thankful that you finish what you started, that you don't leave us, but that your love that has called us is gonna bring us home. We're just thankful for that this morning, Jesus. It's because of the goodness of God that we pray. Amen.